Hebrews chapter 10. And would you stand with me please for the reading of God's word. We'll begin in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much, more, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, it is good and right that we feel a sense of fear as we come into your presence. Though we draw near with confidence, we do not draw near with flippancy. We do not draw near casually. We know that you have called us friends, and yet you are still the living God. And as we come to you and as we open your word, we pray that we would hear your voice, that you would speak to us in this hour. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before the automobile was ubiquitous, back when traveling meant a long walk or a ride on wagon or cart, the idea of choosing a church was unheard of. Unless you were in one of the largest cities in the world, you either went to church or you didn't. But there was one to choose from. In fact, in America, late in the 19th century, it was still quite common to have 
a single minister travel from town to town so that you might get a church service once a month. But today the scene is quite different, isn't it? There are over 300,000 Protestant churches in America, and there's only 43,000 zip codes. That's about seven Protestant churches per zip code. In Warren County, you have over 45 different Protestant churches to choose from. And within 30 minutes driving distance of Martinsdale, you have dozens of evangelical churches you could go to. But that's not news to you. And the dilemma of choosing a church isn't really the issue that's facing us today. The issue facing us today is why go to church at all? I'm not talking about abandoning the faith or joining another religion. I'm talking about going to church bodily, yoking yourself to a local congregation, being joined exclusively to one body of believers. Why should you physically get up on Sunday morning and join with a church? Maybe that's not a question that's ever crossed your mind. So let me explain why this is such an important topic. At church, there's only a few things we do each week. We talk to each other before and after the service. We sing. We pray. We take an offering. We listen to a sermon. We take communion once a month. And we eat donuts and drink coffee once a week. What's so special about that? How many times have you come to church thinking, this is going to be a complete waste of time? And maybe you've even left saying, yep, that was a waste of time. Maybe you've even said, I get more out of the sermons I hear online than the ones I hear in church. Or I can never really sing in church because I'm scared I'm going to offend the people around me. <clears throat> I sing better in my car or the shower. Maybe you've talked with someone who's argued, my relationship with God is my relationship with God. I read the Bible, I pray, I have Christian friends, and I don't need all the drama and hassle of going to church. So why go to church? Why? The coffee is better at Starbucks. The donuts are better at Quick Trip. I can listen to better sermons online from better preachers and on topics that are more relevant to my life. I already give to charities I care about, and I support three different missionaries. Why do I need to go to church? I have a men's prayer meeting weekly at my friend's house, and I sing hymns to the Lord in my car. Why should I go to church? I can get a better version of everything church offers somewhere else. Now, I don't think that these arguments are anything new in the 21st century. In fact, I think these arguments have 10 times the power when it's not church is inconvenient, but church is illegal and it could cost you your life to attend or your family or your home. But what's changed in the last century with our unprecedented advances in technology is that these arguments are prevalent and compelling. 
I could go home right now and download sermons from D.A. Carson, Al Mohler, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, and I could even hear sermons read from Chrysostom, C.S. Lewis, or Jonathan Edwards. How can Jeremy Kidder compete? <laughs> and I can download hymns performed by the most skilled choirs. So what can Pastor Jeremy possibly say or Dan Barth possibly orchestrate that will surpass what's already on my computer? That's the question we want to answer this morning. Why do we gather here every week? Is it just an old tradition? Do we just do it because? Is it just a duty? Or is there something deeper going on when we come together every week? Before I attempt to answer this question, I want to make an acknowledgement. It's not always possible for people to come to church. Sometimes physically, it's not possible for them to join with a church. Sometimes you're in a part of the world where there isn't a church. I know there's exceptions. I'm dealing with what almost everyone else deals with. There is a church, and I'm choosing not to go. That's what we want to look at. I want to look at two fundamental reasons our weekly Sunday gatherings are a matter of life and death. They are not optional. They are not traditional. Well, they are traditional. They're not just traditional, but they are critical. Number one, our weekly gathering is irreplaceable. It's irreplaceable. Online sermons, worship CDs are great supplements to church. They cannot replace church. They can't. First, why is it irreplaceable? You can't hug Google. <laughs> you can't hug Google. You can get a lot from Google, but you can't hug Google. It's not a person. Google can't touch you. It can't give you a hug when you need it. It can't see the face that you're making when you greet it. There's something radically different about personal, physical contact that cannot be mimicked by the computer. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Well, actually don't. I'll just read it to you. It's really quick. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now, this is not a sermon about holy kisses, so I'm not going to go into whether or not a hug or a handshake is an acceptable replacement. But the point's this. We need physical affection from one another. We're a family. You are my fathers and mothers, my brothers and sisters, my sons and my daughters. We need each other. What healthy family doesn't have any display of physical affection. There isn't one. Have you ever been separated from loved ones? Maybe they've gone on a trip and you've promised we'll call or we'll Skype and you think, oh, that'll be great. I'll get to see them. And when you call, it's just not the same, is it? It's not. It's great to see faces of grandkids, but does it replace being with them? No way, not a chance. So even though we can benefit from sermons online, we can even watch 
church services online, they cannot replace somebody that you can touch, somebody that you can greet, somebody that you can hug, somebody that you can give a handshake to. We need each other, and you can't hug Google. Second, time travel is not possible. Time travel is not possible. Church is irreplaceable because you can't hug Google and because time travel is not possible. Have you ever listened to a musical performance in high def on really nice speakers and you've said something like, it was like I was there in the room. You weren't. <laughs> I felt like I could touch him. You couldn't. Now, when, when I do yard work, I almost always listen to sermons. Almost always. And I listen to the sermon, and I'm getting great, great ideas. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm getting excited. And I finish my work, and I turn off my, my phone, and I pull out my earbuds. And I'm just, I want to talk about this. And you know what? I'm alone. Nobody around me has any idea what I'm going through. I'm alone. Now, that's not a bad thing, but it shows I'm not made to listen to sermons online only. I need more. What happens when we come together and we hear the preaching of the word or we worship together and we finish and everyone says, amen? Do you know what the people around you are thinking? Can you talk about it afterwards? The next time that topic comes up, do you know what everyone else in our body thinks? Yes, you do. In fact, I'm pretty sure that if I said children are always A, you could fill it in. So the next time there's a comment about children being a blessing, you think, yes, amen, I'm with you, we're together. And time travel is not possible. What I mean is, even though you can listen to a sermon and it feels like you're there, you're not there. And we need the times that we come together every week where we know what everyone else is thinking. We're all on the same page. That's powerful. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. The author of Hebrews says in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Do you know what danger you face this week? Do you know what danger I face this week and every day? I could fall away from the living God. And I'm not talking about losing my salvation. But look at what it says. The evil, unbelieving heart leads you to fall away. Does anyone face evil and unbelief every day? Yes. And if I don't kill it, where am I headed? Away from God. But what's the, what's the antidote? Therefore, listen to more sermons. Therefore, read your Bible more. Therefore, pray more. Well, aren't those good things? Yes, we agree. Do those. But look at what he says the solution is. Verse 13. But you all exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What's the solution? 
Who's going to keep me from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Yes, me. Yes, it is my choice. But what does he say? You will. You exhort one another every day because I could fall in to the deceitfulness of sin and be hardened by it. Can you do that online? Not a chance. You can't do it. And not only that, but look at what he says. When should I do this? As long as it's called today, what day is it? It's today. So should I do it? Yeah, because it's still called today. The point is you have to do it all the time. It's regular. You don't do this once a year at a conference. You don't do it once a month. We're doing it all the time. And if we don't gather together, how can we ever do it? Next, see, iTunes doesn't keep watch over your soul iTunes doesn't keep watch over your soul. You're in Hebrews, turn over to chapter 13 and listen to this. Why should I be part of a church and come regularly to its gatherings? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I don't like that. That sounds harsh. But, well, okay, it does. But listen, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Whoa. Is iTunes going to give an account for your soul? No. No. Not at all. If you are not joined to a local church, if you have not committed yourself to a local church, who is watching out for your soul? Now, in theory, if we could identify the greatest pastor on earth, and we all had access to his online church every week, the greatest pastor in the earth couldn't compete with Al Ostrander or Jeb Brewer. Because they can watch out for your soul. And nobody online can. God has charged them with shepherding your souls to watch out for you. And they're not replaceable. Those in your local church are the ones who will give an account. They can't be replaced. More than that though, listening to sermons online have an inherent weakness because you pick what to listen to. <laughs> oh, we don't like to listen to the sermons we most need to hear. At least not usually. If you don't realize that you're failing as a husband, you're not going to listen to sermons about being a godly husband. If you don't realize that you're failing in obedience to your parents, you're not going to go online and listen to sermons about children obey your parents. But as we gather every week, we're exposed to the whole counsel of God. We see a wide range of biblical teachings and we're, our hearts are exposed so that our sin can be repented of, turned from, and we grow. But if we just go online and listen to the things that we like, guess what? None of our weaknesses will ever get addressed. It's kind of like having a personal trainer. 
If you like to do one type of exercise because you're good at it, it's easy for you, guess what you really need? Something else that isn't easy for you so that you're more balanced. You have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. And those will never be exposed if we stay at home and don't come together as a church. D, fourth, why is church irreplaceable? Well, dying for the internet is a bad idea. Dying for the internet is a bad idea. Uh, you can listen or turn to John 15, John chapter 15. John writes, or Christ says, in John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, that sounds great. What does that mean? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's why we gather together every week to lay our lives down for one another. And in 1 John 4, John says, this is love, not that we've loved God, but he loved us. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. He also says in 1 John, anyone who says he loves God, but does not love his brother is a liar. If you say you love God, whom you have not seen, but your brother, whom you have seen, you don't love, then you are a liar. So as members of this church, we're charged to love one another, to give ourselves up for one another, to serve one another. We lay down our lives for one another, and you can't do that for the internet. If we believe that God, uh, we believe we love God, but don't love our neighbor, then we are lying. So the, inner, the, uh, I'm sorry, the church is irreplaceable. You can't get anything online that will replace the church. The second reason that we gather together, why is it so crucial we gather together, is that our weekly gathering is essential. It's essential. That is, without it, we can't survive, we can't grow what we're doing right now, right here, is part, an essential part of what God designs for our growth. There's no substitute, and we cannot carry out God's purpose for our lives if we neglect this. Let's see why. It's essential in order for us to function as a body. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me turn over there with me. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. We are a body. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body Look how he carries this metaphor forward. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
If we are a body, the body has joints. And what happens when one of your joints goes out? It hurts not just the joint, but the whole body. In the imagery that he, he has in 1 Corinthians 14, we won't, 12 and 14, we won't go there now. But the idea is if we are a body, we have to care for one another. And when we come together, that's exactly what our goal should be. The time we spend talking in the foyer before church or the time we spend talking over coffee and donuts is not about fun and frivolous things only. Friends do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all it is, you can get that down at the Lions Club. You can get that down at the, I don't know, pool hall. You get it anywhere. But here, something different is going on, that we are concerned to build one another up so that when there is a member who is suffering, we come alongside to help build them up and encourage them. Not only do we come together to build each other up, but we also come together to comfort, to comfort. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this. You can just listen. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. When does that happen? This is a command to the whole church. It's you, we urge you, brothers, all of you, admonish the idol. All right, when do I do that? I mean, wh where, where's the idol section of the church? There isn't one, right? Because the idol are individuals, aren't they? And how do you know if somebody is being idle? There's only one way. You have to be in their life. How are we to encourage them? And what if they have a good week? Do we still say, well, you're idle. I'm exhorting you today. I'm admonishing you because you're an idle person. That wouldn't be appropriate, would it? We admonish them when they're being idle. Well, how often does that happen? That's a weekly thing. We have to be together. We have to be involved in each other's lives if we're going to admonish. And the same is true for helping the weak. As we prayed this morning for Joan weakness we need to help there is a hurting pain that is going on now that's not something that we just can do online we have to be there with them to encourage them and to lift them up we don't need comfort every week but if we're not coming together every week then when we need comfort most it won't be there and when we need to give comfort most we won't be there to give it we can't have quarterly comfort meetings. They take place every week. Third, we come together to purify. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And again, just listen. We've got a lot. Um, so i save a little bit of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul says regarding a member who was sinning and was embracing it and apparently not willing to repent. This is what he says. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 
When does that take place? He says, when you are assembled, when you come together, one of the duties we have when we come together is discipline. We just finished a, a two-month series on this, and Jeff finished up by dealing with this topic. Discipline takes place in the body. It's a duty that we all have, not just individually, but as a whole body to purify the church. But more than just the corporate act of removing someone from the church, we have an obligation weekly to deal with the sin in each other's lives. It's only when the sin is embraced and will not be let go of that we would move beyond that. But all of us have sin in our lives. All of us do. And so we have to come together to help purify one another, to be an example of holiness, and to point out where the holiness isn't happening. That, I mentioned, was one of the most helpful part of our service trip. You get together and you're in the car for 20 hours. You can keep your act together pretty well for 30 minutes. <laughs> or an hour. You can. You know that, right? You can do it actually for months, like an engagement. <laughs> and then some things come out after marriage that you didn't really think about. You kept it under wraps, and then it comes out. Well, eventually, if you spend enough time with each other, what comes out? The rudeness, the interruptions, the snippy remarks, the unkind treatment of someone, the rolling of the eyes. Oh, he's doing it again. All of that shows our sinfulness. Well, if we're not together, guess what? Nobody sees that. And if nobody sees it, nobody will ever confront it. And so I don't say that in a mean way at all. It was one of the greatest parts of our trip to be able to help each other see the sin that's in our lives that came to the surface during all of our time that we had together. So we come together to purify. The second reason that gathering together as a church is essential is to maintain our unity. To maintain our unity. Our weekly gatherings... Well, let me stop for a second. And I... Before we look at the last four points, and we'll, we'll be brief on them, I, I want to ask you how, do you, how do you glorify a peach tree? Never been asked that before, have you? <laughs> how do you glorify a peach tree? How do you make much of a peach tree? You eat it, and more than that, you love it. You savor it. You let the juices drip down your chin. You savor its fruit. You enjoy it. You relish in its sweetness. You can't do anything more for a peach than that. That's what our Sunday mornings are all about. You ever think about that? We come together hungry and thirsty, and we taste and enjoy the goodness of God. And when we enjoy God, not just his gifts, but God, what we are saying about him is he is good at a whole different level than a peach, but you get the point. What happens when you come home and your wife is just taking it, a bite of a peach and you hear this, Happy noise. Mmm. 
delicious. What do you think about the peach? That must be a rotten peach. What do you think about the peach? You know that peach must be good, and what do you now want? You want a bite too. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. When we declare the goodness of God, and I hear you declaring the goodness of God, you know what goes on in my heart? I say, I want some too. I want to know him too. I want to be satisfied by him as you are. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings. When I see you savor God's goodness, I want to join with you. When I hear your voices lift in praise, my own heart wants to lift in praise and enjoyment of God. That is at a whole different level than me enjoying God singing to him in my car. It is. It is superior to me singing in my car alone. And I can prove it really quickly. Heaven will not have a bunch of cars in it. We will not be singing alone in heaven. What will we be doing in heaven? We will be praising him together with one voice. That is better than doing it all alone. So let's look at these four really briefly. We, we maintain our unity through prayer. When we pray, we are coming to God in a sense as an infinite peach tree. We're coming to him with a need and we're recognizing he has everything we need. Everything. And so we pray to him for him to meet our needs so that we can taste his goodness. Matthew chapter 18, you know this verse. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, I, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, if you look at the context there, it's probably not specifically just talking about prayer, but if you're asking something, that is a kind of prayer. And Christ's point is this, when you pray, you do it together, there's something more powerful about doing it together than just by yourself. It is not either or. It's not you have to pick one or the other. It's both and, but one is superior. One is more weighty. We do it also through worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit only, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? The point being, if you're praising God in your spirit, that's great, but guess who gets excluded? I do. I can't say amen. Mm, 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 mm. Amen. Can anyone join with me? No one can join with me because you have no idea what I just thought. You have no idea what I just prayed in my spirit. But when we come together, we can pray and we can praise. And when we do, at the end of it, I can say to your praise or your prayer, amen. We are one. We also come together and maintain our unity through preaching. This is number three, through preaching. And I, I just look at one verse 
Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What are we to do as a body? He is writing this to the church. What are we to do as a body? We are to have the same mind, the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. How does that get accomplished? How does it get accomplished? The more each one of us is transformed into the likeness of Christ, the more we will all have the same mind. Unity is not developed by you all becoming like me or all of us becoming like Pastor Jeremy. All of us are becoming more like Christ. And it's specifically through the preaching of God, God's word that our mind is engaged. And as our minds are engaged and we think the same way together, what happens to our thoughts? How many minds do we have? We may have had many minds last week when it came to the issue of children being a blessing. I hope at the end of it, we had one that we all agreed and could say, amen. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Giving. Last one. In fact, we're going to come back to this next week. Probably the... I don't, I don't know, maybe the elders aren't happy that I'm telling you now, but next week's whole message is going to be on giving. That's traditional topic for the associate pastor to preach when the senior pastor's gone. <laughs> so I'm not going to say much about giving right now. But just think of this. If we're all giving to the same cause... Do we feel a sense of kinship with one another? Yep. But if you don't think something's worth giving to, and I do, there's inherently a disjunct. There's a gap. But if we're all giving together, we are drawn together in unity. Let me whet your appetite for next week by saying this. God is fundamentally not a stack of peaches in the grocery store that you have to keep supplying your giving is not bringing peaches to God. You are not bringing God anything that he needs because God is not a human God. You do not serve him as though he needed anything. He needs nothing. So it will not be a guilt trip and it will not be a pledge drive. <laughs> Rather, it will be an appeal for you and me to find our joy in God. Let's pray together. We need one another. We need our Sunday mornings. Sunday morning is not a duty we must fulfill, but it's a desperate need and something we should long for. It is a matter of life and death. Father in heaven, we come before you and ask that you would do this work in our hearts, that you would unify us we recognize that we often think, I can get that somewhere else. I don't like this or I don't like that. I'll get it somewhere else. Help us to see, Lord, that we are one, that we have one body here and that we are members of one another. Help us to care for each other 
as members of the same body and to never think of ourselves as independent or separate from the rest. For your glory and in your name I pray, amen.